series called He Comes Bearing Gifts. We're looking at some of the gifts that Jesus gives his people. Last week, Jonathan helped us unpack the gift of grace uh, that we've been given. And tonight, we're looking at a gift that Jesus was super excited to give his followers. But it's a gift that's actually generated a lot of confusion among Christians, and that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do this evening is I want us to look at this wonderful gift that is the Holy Spirit. I want us to look at what it is, what it does, how does it work. And we're going to do that by looking at John chapter 16, verses 5 through 13. So what is it? If I were to ask the average Christian what the Holy Spirit is, I think they would probably describe it something like this. The Holy Spirit is the thing that gives the Christian his or her power. It's, it's the energy force that surrounds us and binds all things together. And that sounds right, except that that's not a quote from the Bible, it's a quote from Star Wars. So Obi-Wan Kenobi explains the force to Luke in episode 4. And though the Holy Spirit does empower the believer, and we'll say a little bit more about that next week, what, what I want to clear up tonight is that the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal energy field. The Bible actually describes the Holy Spirit as a person. And we need to clarify what we mean by that, because when we think of person, we think someone that has a body, because you are a person and you have a body. But when... When the Bible is talking about the Holy Spirit being a person, it means that he has all the markers of personhood. He has intellect, emotion, and will. And so the Holy Spirit isn't an energy force. He's a, a person. He's one of the members of the Trinity. And we're not going to unpack the Trinity tonight. If you want that, come this Sunday. Pastor Austin's talking about it. What I want to stress this evening is why the personhood of the Trinity is so important for us. It's important because it changes the way that we relate to him. Uh, where, where are my Star Wars people at? Okay. What is the coolest thing a Jedi can do? Use lightsaber. No. Yes, that's cool. But the coolest thing is what? It's they can use the Force. Right? How cool would it be to walk up to your parents and say, I don't need to go to school today. You, you want to give me your credit card. That would be great. And, and the only thing that, that hinders... A Jedi's power is his ability to tap into the Force. His ability to manipulate and harness it, to do his bidding. Now, if the Holy Spirit is a Force, that's what we should be trying to do, to tap in, use, manipulate the Holy Spirit to our ends. But if he's a person, it's not something to, to use and manipulate. It's something to, it's someone to engage and relate to. You don't manipulate your friends. You talk to them. You relate to them. And so the person, the Holy Spirit being a person, not an energy field, changes the way we engage with him. And that's really important when we understand what the Holy Spirit does. Now there are several things that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does in the believer's life. We're going to confine ourselves to our text this evening and simply look at two things. Uh, the first we find in verses 8 through 11. Jesus says that, that when the, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, comes, that he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
concerning sin, because they do not believe me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, context, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that the, when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, what he's going to do when he comes. And, and it honestly seems a little confusing, all this judging and convicting and all that type stuff, unless you read all of John chapter 16. Jesus is warning his disciples that hardships are coming for them. And one of the great hardships that's going to tempt them to give up following Jesus is the world's resistance and accusation against them. And Jesus pictures this playing out like it's a cosmic trial, that God is on the judge's bench, the world is in the, the prosecutor's section, and his followers are in the defendant's chair. But then in walks the greatest defense attorney of all time, the Holy Spirit. He's going to show the court that the world, not Jesus' followers, are wrong in three regards. They're wrong about sin. They're wrong about righteousness, and they're wrong about judgment. And Jesus' point is this, that the Holy Spirit is going to vindicate his followers. He's going to assure them that they are in the right. But, but he's not doing that so that they can sit back and feel self-important, so that they can sneer at the stupid world that just couldn't figure it out. The Holy Spirit's vindication encourages Jesus' followers to keep going, to continue following Jesus despite the resistance they're going to experience. He's the one that helps them to keep moving forward. But where exactly are we pressing forward to? How do we know where we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do? That's the second thing that our passage says the Holy Spirit does for us. Uh, I'm in verse 12 now. Uh, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit not only will vindicate his followers, he will guide them. Now, I wonder what your perception of a guide is. Uh, maybe you think of a guide as that annoying person that keeps talking to you about random facts in museums while you're just trying to look at the art or find the gift shop. Uh, or maybe, maybe you think a guide is like that, that annoying voice on Google Maps that tells you exactly what you ought to be doing and lets you know in very disappointed terms when you do not make the right turn. But the Holy Spirit uh, is a guide, much like a parent guides a child that's beginning to walk. Have you ever been around kids as they're first learning to walk, they're taking their first steps? They're not good at it. And, and so what happens is that parent will come over by the child, will take them by the hands, help them stand up, and then they take their little steps. The parent really empowers and enables the child to begin to walk. But then the kid's like, this is pretty cool, I like this. Still not good at it. And they will start trying to like dive bomb into pointy objects and whatever. And so the parent not only helps them move forward, they guide and direct them, keep them from harm's way. That's how the Holy Spirit guides us. He's not off in the corner shouting from afar, look out for that decision ahead. 
He empowers us and guides us, takes us by the hand, and empowers us to live a life pleasing to God. And that's just a snippet of what he does in the life of the believer. But hopefully you can see that sufficiently that this is a great gift that God has given us. Which should leave us one question. How do we use this gift? How do we relate to or engage with the Holy Spirit? There are several concrete illustrations that the Bible gives us for how we should relate to the Holy Spirit, both positively and negatively. Uh, we shouldn't quench the Spirit. We should walk with the Spirit. We shouldn't greet the Spirit. We should be in step with the Spirit. On and on we can go. I want to just look at one tonight. That's in Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. The Apostle Paul says this, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, I don't think Paul's analogy is uh, incredibly relevant for this group. I really hope none of you have ever been drunk with wine. But I, you've seen movies, right? And you know that the more someone drinks, the more someone fills themselves with alcohol, the more it impacts the way they act. Sometimes quite comically, sometimes not so much. And Paul says that that's how we should relate to the Holy Spirit. That you should take in more and more of Him into your life so that He has greater and greater influence in your life. Yes, okay, but how? How do we do that? I think we ask Him. I think we ask Him to take control, to lead us and guide us, to shape us, and to help us submit to His guiding hand. Is that simple? And yet that difficult. Because just like when you get drunk on wine, you don't know what's going to happen. What if God wants you to be a missionary in Africa? Or worse, what if he wants you to be a missionary to that kid in your class that no one likes? What if he wants you to change who your friends are? What if he wants you to start being nice to your siblings? No, no, it would be far better to stay sober stay in control. And here's why you should be filled with the Spirit. Because He has your best in mind. Philippians 1.7 tells us that He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That means that He did not save you to wreck you. He saved you to transform you, to make you the whole and flourishing human you were created to be. Guys, here's the point. The Holy Spirit is an amazing gift from our King. But it's a gift that only does us good if we engage Him. 